0: Welcome to this week's edition of Debriefing the Law. I am Joel Oster. Chris Marone here. Hey, Chris, it's great to have you back this week. I know we got a lot to uncover this Mm -hmm. week, but first, I feel like I got to do a little bit of explaining. This is the start of the greatest time of year to be from kansas i know usually you're true. thinking uh, when wizard of oz comes out that one mm-hmm. time of year i don't even know if wizard of oz is just still played but whatever no in kansas uh-huh. it's all about basketball did you know the inventor of basketball was ku's first coach i am gonna have to google that dr james Naismith was our very first coach and <laughs> while you are googling it you will find this out as well he is our only coach with a losing record. So, Dr. Ooh. James Naismith was our very first. We are all about basketball here in Kansas. That's so true. So, I'm sporting my KU hoodie. I got my KU mug right here. I am good to go. So, Rock Chalk, Jayhawk, KU. I have the game on right here. We're <laughs> while we're, we are recording this, it is playing in the background. So, if I get a little distracted, you, you know, I might need some comforting because I really get worked up over my KU Jayhawks. You do? Hey, Chris just off the top of your head, you happen to know who the defending NCAA basketball champions are in the men's bracket.
1: I feel like I was at that game. Oh, that's right. I was at that game. That's right.
0: Rock Chalk. That's right, man. We were right there. And speaking Mm -hmm. of which, the defending Super Bowl champs, are right here from Kansas City as well. No, I know that's on the Missouri side, but hey, whatever. I'm just telling you it's great to be in <laughs> Kansas. Kansas is in the name. Right, Kansas exactly. Kansas is in the name. It's in the name. We are, we are all good to go. All right, well, I, before we get to our legal news of the day, I, uh, and we're going to cover the, the Murdoch, the, the, the Murdoch. Uh, murder trial, we got some more unpacking yeah. to do. We, we've, I, I dig, did some digging in my history books and I found another murder trial from 1954 involving Ooh. some amazing players, involving Otto Graham, involving uh, F. Lee Bailey. Fascinating murder trial. I'm going to make the connection between that. And the the Murdoch murder trial, uh, okay. and then we're going to talk a little bit about the Supreme Court because the Supreme Court has been in the news with the student loan forgiveness plan, whether or not that's constitutional, was a, whether or not it was an abuse yeah. of power. But first, we got some real business to take care of. I need help writing a new comedy bit. Are you up for
1: this? This is what we're here for. This is what I do. Do people say you're funny? Unfortunately,
0: they do. They do. Yeah. Yeah. Except I'm just I'm just going to guess here.
1: How yeah. about?
0: your wife does she think you're funny
1: ooh <laughs> like like 40% of the time okay well that's good hey like, you know what like 40%
0: then you have a happy marriage that's all I'm gonna that's say right, right. there Right all right there. well i'm working on this new comedy bit and i want your help here because this is kind of okay. what we do I, I i went to a comedy club last night and you, you work on these yep. bits here I, I probably spent six hours working on one of five minute bit but whatever oh. i, I want to get it going down right here so I want, I want your help here and i'm starting i started off this comedic bit with this idea that the pandemic was an opportunity for reflection not not no, chris um okay I, doesn't it seem like the pandemic was way in the past, like like a distant memory? It does.
1: It it seems like it was like a decade ago. Like nine eleven feels like yesterday, but the pandemic feels like it was a far gone time. When gather around, children, I'm wow. going to tell you about a time when we wore masks
0: when we were, could yes. not hang out. The lockdown.
1: So I'm trying to bring Rain. us
0: back to that that moment.
1: And then uh, my
0: my setup to this joke is this: I'm beginning to think. I didn't make the best life choice to become a lawyer. So that's kind of my setup is that during the pandemic, I had time for reflection and I'm beginning to think that maybe I didn't make the best life choice when I decided to become a lawyer. And so the audience, I think at this point has no idea. Where I'm going with this. I mean, I don't either. uh, I I mean, I kind of threw out there this idea that, you know, okay, Joel, you struggled to with the decision to become a lawyer. What do you mean by that? So I I jump right in there to say, then say, do you you remember the lockdown where where all the businesses that were non-essential had to shut down? Mm-hmm. all right so I, i'm kind of setting this up by like hey okay. you know if you if you were um you remember those days with the lockdown and we all mm-hmm. had to kind of shut her in and in, in our houses and then i give a little backstory here and say well i i i hire a company to come to my house to pick up dog crap now, okay Chris i'm just kind of throwing it out there right now do you think that's outrageous? I, I'm trying to shock the people, but w- what is your feel when I say that I hire someone, a company, to come to my house to pick up dog crap? I
1: think you have a lot of disposable income. <laughs> okay, all right. That's, that's, that's the first thing that came to mind. Like,
0: uh, you rich. All right, all right. So I'm worried about that because that's definitely not what I'm wanting. But I, I get what you're right. saying. Already, I'm distancing myself with the audience because they're yeah. saying... Okay, you're not like us. If you have enough money to hire mm-hmm. someone to pick up dog crap, you're a, That that's not true. So right. I, I got to work on that because I got to make sure somehow I, I don't give that kind of uh you know a cockiness or, or arrogance. or, of, uh, out with that all right so then but i i say after i kind of say i hire some company to come over to my house to pick up dog crap and then i had to give a little bit of an aside saying you know what I, I i don't want to tell you how much money i spend on this it's embarrassing enough that i i find room in the budget to hire someone else to drive over to my house to pick up dog crap but here's where the punchline that comes in because then what i say is that it You know, during the the pandemic that all non-essential services were, were, uh, all businesses that were non-essential were forced to shut down. Well, it dawned on me that my dog crapper picker uppers, they were allowed to continue. Yeah, picking up dog crap is an essential service. And then it hit me all of my legal training all my years in school all of my experience life experiences led me to a career that is less essential to the world than picking up dog crap and that's supposed to be the punchline, chris what do you think of that go ahead and give me a grade
1: that's like a b minus c plus (laughs) um it's all in the delivery right so it's all when you when you deconstruct it down to like a you know like an ice cream sundae in different cups it's not as delicious, but I feel like you could give some good delivery in that to begin yes. with. Cause you could play down you could play down the fact that you're bougie by having a dog crap picker upper. Like you could you could play that down, right. like, you know. Um you you could even play it as like neighborhood kids or you could play it as something that's not as bougie as like I'm picturing Chris Marone. Like Having one of those giant trucks pull up with the trailer behind it and they come out yes. with a giant poop scoop and they just walk around your backyard and say, yes, Mr. Joel and no, Mr. Joel. And they pick up ah. all your dog poop. Like, that's the first thing that came to mind in my head. But if you're like, oh, I hire oh. this neighborhood kid to come pick up dog crap from my house. Neighborhood kid. Right. I pay this neighborhood that's kid to come. That's better because that, that takes right. it
0: away from the, the, hey, I have so much money. I hire someone to come to my
1: house. Right. So now you have this neighborhood kid that you're supporting. You know, giving him a job to do something he could do to earn All money right. after school, and he's more essential than you being a lawyer, which then tackles it again, right? Like lawyers are so non-essential that a twelve-year-old picking up dog crap is more important than a lawyer. <laughs> you like know that, Chris,
0: That's why you're paid the big bucks. That is a great connection there. That kind of mm-hmm. I think it helps to be a little bit more funny. Uh, right. It helps that, that eliminate that earlier problem. My my tag then at the end is going to be good call guidance counselor. You steered mm-hmm. me well. Right. You Know a little bit of a uh dig there to the guidance counselors now. So, the um, the other part of that joke that I'm just wondering, it, it, I'm afraid to go there. That last line about uh, you know, if, if you if I just stayed home, my, my business is less essential than picking up dog crap would be a lot funnier if I swore on that last line, Chris. I don't know if you want to do corporate comedy, you really can't go there. What do right. you think? Should I go there?
1: No. And I have a really good story about this. Why? Uh, Working here at a law school, we all know this. We had Kevin Nealon come to the law school. Kevin Nealon, very famous, very funny, Saturday Night Live alum, super funny. He cannot do a clean comedy show. Okay. And so a lot of the donors here in Arizona that give money to the law school, a lot of them are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. A lot of them are very evangelical Christian. A lot of them are conservative, and they do not like swearing. So we brought Kevin Nealon out to the law school to put on an hour and a half comedy show, and he bombed. Okay. It was like, it was like, it was awkwardly bad bombing because he was instructed as part of his contract that he could not swear.
0: Okay, because
1: the people in the audience, and and that's our fault for picking Kevin Nealon, right? Like we we should. It's like it's like trying to get Eddie Murphy to do Raw. And then, like, in front of a bunch of, you know, (laughs) Latter-day Saints and Catholics and all sorts of stuff. It it wasn't going to play well. But, man, that guy could not, could not for the life of him tell a punchline without dropping, like, an F-bomb or something. And it was just, like, cringy bad.
0: There you go. All right, well, next week I'm going to record this at a comedy club. I'm going to play it for Mm -hmm. you next week. I'm going to make the edits that you said. And we are going to see how this plays out. In front of a live audience. So come back next week and we'll play that for you and you can see what their response was. Perfect. All right, Chris, let's now dig into the Murdoch mm-hmm. appeal. Now, it's been a week since this trial was over. I think it was last week while we yeah. were recording that the the verdict came down. Yeah. Uh, and so it dawned on me as I've been thinking about this trial The comparisons and the similarities to the Sam Shepard murder trial. Mm -hmm. Now the Sam Shepard, he he was a surgeon in the Cleveland, Ohio area. And and what happened was on July 3rd, 1954, Sam went to bed early. They had him and his wife, Marilyn had some friends over to their house. He was a surgeon, had to go to work the next morning early. So he kind of ditched the rest of the people, went to bed early right there, Mm -hmm. Chris. I like Sam (laughs) Shepard. That's what I would do. I bring friends over to my house, and I say, "Sayonara, I'm going to bed. You guys just keep on partying, whatever you want to do. But I am going ahead and taking a nap."
1: I love this guy. This is what my wife loves to do, anyways. Like my wife could be Sam Shepard at this point. Like, (laughs) she's like, "Chris, I'm going to go to bed now. Bye." And I'm like, "Literally, we just pulled out the first the first round. Like, what are we doing?
0: All right." So, he goes to bed early. The next morning, he wakes up to screams. And, uh, and so, he goes up to his wife's bed because he was sleeping on some couch in some room. Oh, right. and, goes, and apparently, the wife also had their own separate twin beds. I thought that was only on Dick Van Dyke, but apparently, it's also a thing in real life. They had separate twin. <laughs> they were married. They had separate <laughs> twin beds, whatever. And, First as, off. and as he described it, he met a white biped form in the bedroom that he wrestled with.
1: Chris, what is a white biped form? I could stand and show you because I I meet that description. You also, because I've met you in person, meet that description. Have you ever described anyone as a biped form? Dude, I have never, like, in all my years of lawyering, like, that is, I need to start using that one when my, when my defendants are describing the uh, straw man argument that they're going to use. It was a... A large white biped form that stole all your money. Uh,
0: I, I don't get it well the, obviously the wife was a brutally murdered we have we have mm-hmm. pictures of the murder scene Sadly, brutal yes. murder uh, there on the bed and so he then tussled and wrestled with this biped form this wrestling match kind of knocked him out but he came to went out to the back of their house which was there on the shores mm-hmm. of Lake Erie kind of a beach area and then he wrestled with this biped form again in the water out of the water and then he became unconscious again finally came yep. to went and called to the neighbor who happened to be the mayor of the town he drove mm-hmm. over because well he lived next door but he still drove over i found out all of what 50 feet whatever yeah. the mayor That's then comes do. over he said he didn't call 911 he calls the mayor and they come over and that began the investigation as to who killed Marilyn Shepard now chris mm-hmm. you have done criminal law so you know this but who is suspect number 1 when it comes to who did it and the spouse is killed?
1: The guy wearing this thing right here. Right. That that makes you
0: suspect number 1. You are suspect number 1 in this case. The mm-hmm. only a suspect as well. There was a this the, this case was known for the huge publicity. The Cleveland newspaper ran stories yep. every single day. The the Cleveland newspaper seemed to call the shots. It was it got yep. so bad, Chris, that there was actually a a, a coroner. So the, the county coroner, which is the person mm-hmm. who does the death certificate, held an inquest. And I did not I did not realize this actually is a thing. So the county coroner will actually hold a mini.
1: T-trial, trial if you will essentially like hearing,
0: yeah right because they want to know the, at the murder scene or, or wherever but then yeah. I, I did not realize there was a second layer of trial and the reason why yeah. they do that is the county coroner has to ascertain the cause of death was this a mm-hmm. homicide was this natural you know things you know heart attack or whatever so yeah. sometimes it's obvious Sometimes it's not as obvious. And so here, the county coroner held this inquest. Think of a mini hearing at the gym, the local high school gymnasium. And we have a video of this and the crowds were packed. I envisioned him selling hot mm-hmm. dogs you know, and cokes from the stands here. Get your hot dog. Get your ice cold beer. Oh, as yes. we watched this murder trial take place in the high school gym. Well, after this inquest, they didn't realize, hey, he's a suspect. Let's arrest him and let's haul his behind in jail. And this, even though he now is facing going to trial, the publicity did not subside. In fact, the no. judge was in on it. And a lady yeah. named Dorothy Kilgallen. Now, I I did not not know who she was, but she was this famous journalist, kind of a gossip columnist. Yeah. Did I just say a gossip columnist was a journalist?
1: Yes, because that's what all the journalists are nowadays, but beside (laughs) the point. Okay, good point. You're right. I
0: am looking at this from the perspective of today, and your gossip columnist, is your anchor for the evening news? Well, uh, she was also a panelist on the famous show at that time. What's my line? It was on you know yeah. TV. Uh, and so she had a conversation with the judge back in the judge's chambers because the judge was just kind of digging all this publicity. And the judge told her he's as guilty as hell. Yep. Okay. Well, the judge had his mind made up apparently, and there right. was a conviction, and he was found guilty of murder. Sam Shepard was. Well, that's when the story just began because right. Sam Shepard then hired as his lawyer one F. Lee Bailey. Chris, well, where have best. you heard that name before?
1: All oh, over the. If you're a, if you're a lawyer, period, right? You know who F. Lee Bailey is. Like, yeah, if you're not a lawyer. Well, that's true. The O.J. Simpson guy—he
0: is O.J.'s yeah.
1: lawyer. Yep. Well, of of many different, of and look, let's take a brief second. Right, Effley Bailey died two years ago, so may he rest in peace. But he did—I mean, he did Sam. He did the Boston Strangler. Right. He did um 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 uh, uh the guy who killed everybody in. Um, the Vietnam War, the Lai Thai Massacre. Okay. Um, he did. He defended that guy. Um, he did the Hearst trial, okay. right? He did. He did the the Patty Hearst trial. He did. I mean, wow. I guess yeah. OJ Simpson, right? He he was the case that um, he handled all of the aggrieved families for the Korean Airline flight that crashed a few years or not a big few years time ago, like, lawyer. Right, I Big mean, the guy's all, all over the place. So all before
0: OJ, before Patty Hearst, before all of that, mm-hmm. was Sam Shepard. Effie Bailey right. was his lawyer and filed a habeas corpus petition. And the <laughs> basis of this petition was well, well. Before we get there, let's actually back up. A lot of things happened between <laughs> the conviction and right. the, the 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 habeas corpus petition. But what you the most important thing that happened was a tv series came out maybe you've heard of it a movie Mm -hmm. has since been made about this tv series called the fugitive Fugitive. have you heard about the fugitive
1: yes well i was alive when the movie came out but not the tv series
0: yeah i haven't i haven't seen the tv series as well but i've seen the movie starring uh was it uh, han solo harrison ford and tommy lee jones it's it's a great movie great it's a great movie and it's based on this doctor Wrongfully Mm -hmm. accused and convicted of killing his spouse and on the run trying to find the real killer. Hey, yep. maybe that's where O.J. got that idea. Just, that just dawned on me. Well, uh, and so the fugitive came out. So the whole public is now saying, wait a second here. Maybe this guy didn't do it. Uh, maybe he is innocent after all. There's another development. A guy named Richard Eberling was picked up, and he had stolen some things from Marilyn Shepard, I think some earrings or something like that. And so I just out of the blue or out of a sense of a gut leading this detective, the detective then asked mm-hmm. Richard Eberling, so why wasn't a blue Blood was found in the bedroom of of Marilyn Shepherd. Now, that wasn't true. The, his blood was not found in the bedroom of Marilyn Shepherd, at least not at that no. point. And he no. said, Oh, I have an explanation for that. You, you see, I was fixing their window the week before. And so that's why there was my blood was all over that room. It's like what did you just admit that your blood was all over Maryland and shepherd's room. And so now we got suspect number one, ironically, right. he took a lie detector test and it turned to be inconclusive. And so Effley right. Bailey was uncertain what role this guy played, but nonetheless, Effley uh, Bailey filed this habeas corpus petition. The case goes all the way up to the U S Supreme court and the Supreme mm-hmm. court reverses the conviction Based on the undue trial publicity. All right, mm-hmm. Chris. So let's talk a little bit about the similarities between the Sam Shepard murder trial and subsequent, uh, you know, uh, exoneration, if you will, right. and the Murdoch murder trials.
1: Any similarities you see? Right off the bat, his venue. Right, right off the bat, his venue. Murdoch was, look, small county. Right. Yes. Is usually I was reading a report the other day that said that usually when they pull for juries in this county, they only have to pull 300 people and they can usually get 12 impartial jurors in the Murdoch trial. They had to pull they had to pull almost nine hundred. So three times as many um, people had to be pulled to be able to be a jury member in this case. Wow. The, Mur- the Murdochs have been in that town like we talked last week since like 1900, Um And. Everybody knew who the Murdochs were. This isn't the first murder that's been tied to the Murdochs. So obviously it's a grievous error in my legal professional expert opinion. I'm going to claim expertise now um, that change of any motion should have been filed. And if it wasn't filed, that's gross negligence on the defense. And I think that's reversible error.
0: Very interesting comparison because in the, in the mm-hmm. Sam Shepard murder trial, all of the jurors were right there from Cleveland. They had read this is mm-hmm. back in the days when you actually read the newspaper. It was delivered to right. your house every morning. I remember those days. And so they all were exposed to this trial publicity. And, and so that surely they had a, they had a prejudicial effect on the jurors. And here, yeah, in a murder trial, same thing. Now, Chris, let's unpack it because I am not sure mm-hmm. I quite believe. How jurors are rehabilitated. So let's say you, you talk to a, a person, a juror, prospective oh, juror during voir dire, and you, you, the person says, yeah, I, I know all about I know all about this murder. I know all about Alex Murdoch. I, I, I've i watched the Netflix series probably four right. times, but you know what? The Discovery Plus series, the Paramount Plus series. Yeah, I've seen it all, seen it all. Yeah. But you know what? I can put that aside. I, I can oh, judge fairly. Totally. I'm impartial. All you have to do
1: is oh. say, i can put it i can set it aside and judge fairly i think when you're in a small area like that yeah i mean that's essentially the, the gist of it you, you probably ask some follow-up questions right what did you learn from the netflix well and it's a double-edged sword right if i was the attorney i'd want to pull them into judges chambers to do this individually in front of the judge and the other lawyer so that way they don't taint the rest of the pool but, but i would want to ask them like what do you know about it? What What have you heard? What is your opinions? What do you think? What do you know about this murder? Because you can ask a lot of questions in voir dire that you can't ask during the trial, right? And I know a lot of good defense attorneys that that's where they set the reasonable doubt stage. Early on is in voir dire, you start asking those questions yes. that would lead to reasonable doubt. So as a defense attorney, I would be capitalizing on the opportunity to take each juror one by one into the judge's chambers and ask these questions to find out what they really know and what they really think, because also people are more likely to be honest when they're not in front of a large group of but people. You know,
0: everyone, every, pers- every perspective one, every prospective juror, every single knew one knew about the history of the Murdoch family, and they oh, dominated. 100%? They knew about the right. um, the boating accident where where Paul was accused mm-hmm. of murdering this lady through gross right. negligence of operating a motor a boat while right. being drunk as a skunk. Uh, they, they they knew about these things. They knew about right. the the, the, the problem. in Netflix. I mean, how often? They knew about yeah the ninety seven fraudulent charges. I mean, how right. often Paul's does true. Netflix come to your town of eighteen thousand
1: and does mm-hmm. a special? Everyone probably right. saw it. Well, everybody tried to probably be in it. Like, they they probably drove down down and watched Netflix record it, right? It's a big deal for a small town. It's a huge deal when a small town, when something like that comes through, right? Take any of those small town people and put them in Los Angeles. What's the first thing they do? They go to Disneyland, they go to Universal Studios, and they go to the Walk of Fame. They want to see the stars. They want to see what's going on. They're going to be flocking to that.
0: And so is it possible to... Break free from all that commotion, publicity, prior knowledge mm-hmm. to judge a matter fairly. And in the Sam Shepard case, the Supreme Court said, no, no. there wasn't enough done here to right. control the external influences. It resulted in a highly prejudicial setup here. And that led it to the conviction. And, and I wonder if the same thing
1: didn't happen here. Right. And that was Cleveland. Cleveland is a major American city, even back in 1956, right? You're talking about back, backwoods, you know, Southern lawyers. Yes. yes. Right. Again, Reba warned us about this. Hold on. Reba. Reba McIntyre warned us about this in her song, fancy, right? No trust, no backwards Southern lawyers. Okay. (laughs) Here's your one chance. Fancy. Don't (laughs) let me down.
0: There you go. She
1: warned us. If you could have
0: sung that, that you would have made my whole day.
1: Right. Yeah, that's that's when my wife starts laughing at me is when I start singing. Oddly enough, they're they're very intertwined. I feel if I ever do a comedy show, it's just gonna be up there me singing like endless love. So um, but you look at this, this small county, right? 18,000 people in a county, not just a town in the county. They're everybody's gonna know. They're going to they're they're
0: know. know. All right. Well, some other similarities here. Both defendants' spouses were brutally murdered. That's obviously mm-hmm. a connection between these two trials. They both... Mm-hmm. The, the both In both cases, the families are very wealthy from right. a long line of succession. Uh, yes. Obviously, Alec Murdoch, his great-great-great-grandpa, was a town solicitor. And ever since then, they kind of ran, controlled the town solicitor's position. In the Sam Shepard's case, it was in the hospital. They were all surgeons. In fact, right. Sam Shepard had joined his father's practice. Uh, mm-hmm. In both trials, the public tried to convict the defendant outside of court as well as in inside of court. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also in both trials, I find it interesting the judge, concluded that the defendant was obviously guilty. Even in right. the Sam Shepard case, the judge took over, you know, Dorothy Kilgallen said he's a, he's as guilty as hell. And during right. Murdoch's sentencing, the South Carolina uh, Circuit Court Judge Clifton Newman condemned him, uh, Murdoch, mm-hmm. for his lack of remorse and said the former lawyer would have to reckon with his conscience and the monster that he has become. Right doesn't sound like he had an open mind that I mean, he pretty much knew that that's fair for a judge to come to right. a conclusion as well i guess post-trial uh but again and it's that's a, a key, similarity
1: right that's key in the sam shepherd trial right if we're different because again i'm a defense attorney so i want to poke holes in this right the in the sam Shep- shepherd trial the judge said before he said before that the guy was guilty as hell right in in Alex's case in alec murdoch's case the judge like handed it to him after he was found guilty by a jury of his peers. And that judge did not pull a punch, did not once, did not once pull a punch. So as much as I agree with you that this is eerily connected, um, I think that the judge gets a pass on this one for me. And I, I, we've
0: learned something from the past. The judge knows mm-hmm. now not to make those statements earlier. By the way, that yeah. matter, the Dorothy Kilgallen matter, actually made it to yeah. the United States Supreme Court, and they were debating yeah. this: what impact this had on the actual trial. And this right. is kind of what they concluded. It didn't have an impact per se. It, it, it didn't matter that the judge made up his mind. It only mattered yeah. that the judge told someone he made up right. his mind it was okay if you make up your mind just don't tell anyone right because then that might unduly prejudice the proceedings. yes uh, and so apparently you can be biased if you want to be biased but just don't let anyone else know about the the fact that you are biased
1: all right so I think Chris. it's rare. I think it's really rare that we get juries that don't have a leaning or have their mind made up when you seat them in the box okay that's the, that's the part of being a really good lawyer is being able to say, yeah I mean, there's been a 100,000 studies done where most people think that if a guy is sitting at the defense table, he did something or she did something. And so having your mind made up, fine. Okay. Go with it, right? Go with it. But you can be convinced otherwise um, through – if you're open to it and you're willing to, to, to weigh the evidence as it comes in, you can be open to changing your mind. And I think that's the point that, that jurists need to focus on. Well, I also think that a judge shouldn't walk in and go, dude, this guy's guilty as hell, like string him up. Right. Like that's obviously. Especially not to uh, you know,
0: a gossip columnist, probably not the best person to to tell that to. Obviously
1: making mistakes. But (laughs) I think that yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Let, let's uh, let's now talk a little bit
0: about the chances for appeal because obviously that's on a mm-hmm. lot of people's minds. Okay, he has a conviction and he's now serving his jail sentence. When, mm-hmm. um, but is it possible that, like in the Sam Shepard case, that he might get win on appeal? Well, let's oh, yeah. take a look uh, at, at the issues on appeal. The first issue I want to bring to your attention is a Fifth Amendment violation, possible violation. Right. Here's what happened. The prosecution said to the jury that Alex Murdoch failed to give an explanation for his whereabouts to law enforcement. Now, according to the lawyers, during their press conference, they said that was a Fifth Amendment violation. The Supreme Court has yep. spoken on that issue. You have a right not to incriminate yourself. You have a right to remain silent. Yep. I don't know, Chris. Do you think that's a good argument? Or do you think... Um, how is this going to play out uh, 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 during the, the federal appeal?
1: I, two things, right? And, and I can't say for certain on the second one. But one, you're absolutely correct. I don't have to say anything to police at all. As a matter of fact, in a matter of practice, and I have trained my entire family that the only things you say to the police are, am I being detained and I want my lawyer? That's it. Right. That's okay. all you say ever, ever. If you're not being detained, you walk away. If you are being detained, you want your lawyer. Those are the only things you say to the police ever. I don't don't care, ever. The second part of that is Alec took the stand. So you could argue that there was opportunity for the prosecution to ask that question, because that's going to be well within scope. That is going to be completely, for those of you at home, if you're being called as a witness and your lawyer asks you questions, the rebuttal coming from the prosecution side has to be within the scope of the questions that you asked. Okay. It's a really good defense tactic. I had a guy once who wanted to testify, wanted to testify, and he, and he was guilty of sin, Joel. Absolutely guilty. And so I put him on the stand because in California, the clients get to run the show, and it's ineffective assistance of counsel if you don't put him on. I asked him his name and when he was born, and I ended my questioning. Okay. Okay. And so the prosecution had no questions to ask cuz everything was outside of scope. But in the Murdoch case, I mean, they went everywhere. The defense went everywhere with Murdoch, right? They right, went to financial right. crimes, they went to where you were, they went to what were you doing, what color were your socks, like, you know, how much does you know, does the rains in Spain fall gently on the plains? Like right, they right. like they went everywhere. So it had to be within scope for the prosecution to come back and start asking these questions and then point out going, he, you know, he didn't tell the police and we had him on the stand and he gave a pretty shaky answer. That's not a fifth amendment violation.
0: Now, So uh, I, I like you, how you went right to the, the crux of the matter, which is, but Joel, they called him to the stand. And when you call Correct. him to the stand, does it not, not kind of wash out whatever might've happened procedurally before mm-hmm. that point? So I, I get that. Now they might argue well, yes, we called him to the stand, but we were forced to because the the judge incorrectly, erroneously allowed in all this character evidence of past oh, crime. So they're right. going to say the only reason why we called him was because his first error by the judge, so maybe these two are going to piggyback on each other. For sure. But let's just focus here on the Fifth Amendment violation. The Supreme Court decided a case in 2013 called Salina v. Texas in where a defendant, so here's what happened in this case. There was a, they were at a murder Murder scene and this there's a suspect there quasi suspect maybe witness whatever however you want to characterize this person and the, the, this witness slash suspect followed the police to the police station to answer some questions and while they're asking questions about the murder finally the police said hey, you know what if if we were to match the shells from the shotgun with your gun would we find a match all of a sudden, Kat's got this guy's tongue. He doesn't want to say mm-hmm. anything anymore. He wants to shut up. So they used his silence, his awkwardness, mm-hmm. his hemming and hawing at that question against him in court. So that, that the Fifth Amendment violation. Hey, you with the same kind of situation. Can you use this person's silence mm-hmm. against them in court? Here's what the Supreme Court said: No, that is not a Fifth Amendment violation because right. you do not invoke your right to remain silent. Like Hold on, but he was silent. That's not good enough. You have to audibly invoke your right to remain silent. So in this situation, if he's talking to law enforcement, and he was talking to law enforcement about various things, was he not already being talkative? He's a lawyer. He knows about the right to remain silent. Uh, And so that I think that's going to be a huge issue here is, did he invoke it, number one? Did he waive it by talking to the cops? And number three, already bypassed number two number three Mm -hmm. does it just simply not matter because he took the stand and so it's all fair game anyways
1: well i also think um the supreme court takes into a lot of uh consideration the totality of the circumstance right they look at everything that's surrounding it the guy in the 2012 case was not a lawyer he was just some random dude um, and then he followed the police back. He was, you know, he was trying to be nice and kind and talk to the police and all that jazz. And then he pulls it right when the questions become very serious. Uh, Murdoch knows the law. He knows what his Fifth Amendment right is. He's right. defended people. He so the I think the court is going to take into consideration that at any point Murdoch could have asserted his Fifth Amendment and and it would have preserved the objection or preserved the record for that. If you're a layperson, let's say you work for a uh, dog crap picker upper business, you're not going to understand the the intricacies of the Fifth Amendment when you can take it. And that's the point of those cases, right? That's the point of Miranda. That's the point of the angel doctrine. That's the point of all that is that people don't know what their rights are until you tell them. Right. Rock knew his rights. He knew his rights very well.
0: Before we get to our next issue of the character evidence that was admitted, is that a valid basis for appeal? Chris, I do think it is time to pat myself on the back here. Do it. KU just won their first round game, and you probably couldn't tell that I was also paying attention to the game and also talking to you about this issue, but that's just how talented I am, I guess.
1: Right. You've given me a lot longer rope this time around to talk, Joel, and I was like, hmm, this is nice. KU must be winning.
0: So you had your suspicions what you're saying. A little bit. But, but you all know, right.
1: your fur, what, what's the police term? Your furlative eye movements let me know that other things were going on.
0: Rock, chalk, J-H-K-U. That's all I'm going to say That's right a- there. <laughs> yeah. All right. On to round two. By the way, our, right. our coach is in the hospital right now with a heart attack. Oh. Yeah. Well, they're winning one for the Gipper. I know. Uh, how, how dangerous is that? I mean, do you think if you had a heart attack, and let's say it's even a minor heart attack are you really going to come back and coach the next day, the next week, mm-hmm. the next month? I mean, that's a pretty stressful job to go back to. It's not like you're working for Arizona State University.
1: Wow. <laughs> um, I mean, I could die tomorrow, and they'll have my job up there and ready to, to replace it.
0: There you go. All right, moving on now to our next ap- appeal issue here, and that is whether or not the court erred in allowing this character evidence into trial. So what are we talking about here? South Carolina rule of evidence 404 says that you cannot use evidence of any other, other crime wrong Mm -hmm. or or act. It's not admissible to prove a person's character in order to show that the particular, and a particular occasion, the person acted in accordance with that character. In other words, Mm -hmm. the, the past financial crimes, you can't introduce that in trial Right. Really just to kind of show this guy's a bad actor. He does bad right. things. He does horrible things. So it's not a stretch to think that he did this horrible thing when he's done those horrible things. So as a general rule, character evidence is not bad acts, prior bad acts, prior criminal acts is not admissible to show that the person acted in conformity with those bad acts on this occasion. So, Chris, what do you think is going to happen with this this issue on appeal?
1: I think that's going to be central to the case. You can't do it. You can't, you can't say that he's this embezzling POS, which he is. He admitted to it. He stole a bunch of money and then say, oh yeah, the next logical step is that he murdered his family. Right. And so because he lied on his financials, he's look, I lied to the IRS IRS. If you're watching, I lie to you. Okay. I lie. You're the devil. But, um, I mean, I'm not embezzling from ASU. I don't have any access to money or anything. Um, (laughs) But what I can say is that my next logical step from embezzlement is not murdering my family. And I again this is where I think the defense screwed up, man. They went over everything. Right? All they had to do was object to the financial evidence and then let it go. Let it let, the court of public opinion is already condemning him. He has I think at last check ninety something financial crime charges against him. Right. And so it's like like people already know the financial crimes are out there. You do not need to sit him on the stand and walk through every single penny that he stole.
0: Huge mistake like, to call him to nothing. the stand on that. Now But you, it's
1: great because it's ineffective assistance of counsel. Well wait well, right?
0: before we get there, he, what do you think of the argument that you these past bad acts, these the financial crime uh, you know these these crimes, they're they're being offered to show motive here. And so it's it's not just that he acted in conformity because he's just a bad actor he does bad things, but that actually right. kind of plays into the motive for this case. Now the right. the, the defense is going to say we're not buying it. In fact, even in your closing argument, prosecution, you said motive wasn't important here. So right. was the was this motive argument just a ruse to get in all of this? prior bad acts by the defendant
1: well they they want to try him right it's small town man they want to try him on everything they probably were going to try to get in all the stuff about the maid and the gay kid and and the girl that died at paul's boat like they're going to try to get all of that in and none of it is relevant now is this the defense asleep at the wheel kind of Right. Right. Because right. there's a lot of objections there that you could be making. There's a lot of motions in Lemonade, which is a motion to exclude evidence from a trial that they could have made. There's I mean, it, it, it preserves a great ineffective argument, but it's also just lazy lawyering.
0: It, it, it does make you think, did the lawyers lawyers mess up by calling Alec Murdoch to the stand? Because it almost feels so. like that gives the appeals court cover to say, no, it doesn't really matter. You made a good argument. Right. But because he was called to the stand, he kind right. of washed. Now, now the, these are all admissible to show that he's that he's lying. Uh, and so the, the jurors, obviously, the, a lot of the jurors, they did their their media tour this this mm-hmm. week. Appeared on various news oh stations, gosh. and I heard one juror say that look this case turned on Alec taking the stand. He should not yeah. have taken the stand. He was not believable. His tears no. were not real. Uh, and one of them said this, this is juror, James McDowell. I, this is it's kind of shocked shocking. Uh, I'm going to quote from James McDowell. This is what he said. We already know that he's a lawyer. He's able to be emotional with cases. He's able to be emotional with himself. I think we were able to read right through that. In other words, they already knew he was a lawyer, so clearly he knew how to fake cry in a given moment. Chris, can you fake cry? Did they teach you that in law school?
1: I can fake cry because um, I'm married. Like that, I got to be able to, when my wife's crying at a TV show, I better start crying. I bet she better not be the one crying by herself. <laughs> all right, there right? you go. If I, if I got to win an argument, I got to turn on the tears. So I look very emotional during uh, the argument and if how important it is to me. I can totally fake cry.
0: Apparently I'm going to apply for some gigs down here with Hollywood because apparently mm-hmm. I'm a much better actor than what I realized because after all I'm a lawyer. All right. Well, right. here's another thing I found interesting from these jurors. So at the onset of deliberations, the jurors took an anonymous poll to see where they stood. And this was the vote. Nine said he was guilty. Two said he was not guilty, and one was undecided. Chris, Fair. Fair. I find that amazing. What do you take of the fact that at the initial vote, two said he was not guilty? I mean,
1: That two people are dumb? <laughs> no. I, I think that it goes to show that the case isn't as clear-cut as every pundit, gossip colonist, um, Netflix watcher. Discovery plus enjoying person thinks it is. And it's true. Like in the courtroom, mm, it's a different different world than it is when you're armchair quarterbacking it from your, you know, from your desk watching just the highlights on the evening news. And so I think you could convince two people beyond, you know, to introduce a reasonable doubt that Murdoch didn't kill his family.
0: But how do you go from two people saying he's not guilty? We're not talking about the undecided Mm -hmm. one. Not guilty. To, and as the the record indicates, forty five minutes it all took them to deliberate. Right, forty five minutes to say, you know what? On second thought, let him go away for his entire life, and right. then another life on top of that.
1: Well, I mean, I mean, in in Twelve Angry Men, we watched Henry Fonda convince eleven <laughs> other dudes in the span of an hour and a half. Now, and I know that's touche. Good, good but, point. But I mean. There could be some, you know, when you, when you walk into a, a jury box or you walk, and I've talked to juries after we've done trials, they immediately sit down and do a poll. Immediately sit down. Where are we at? Okay, right. we're at nine guilty and we're at three not guilty. Okay, great. Three that are not guilty. What what's the problem? What 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 is your issue with being three not guilty? And oftentimes it's it's usually one or two pieces of evidence, at least in my experience. I don't want to, I want to say this anecdotally. There is no scientific research behind this, but anecdotally, it's like one or two pieces of evidence, and they go through those two pieces of evidence. for for this jury, it could have been that they couldn't find the gun, okay. right? And so that's an issue. And then they could they could talk it out. And usually, and juries, I love you juries. If I ever have to pick you as a juror and you're listening to this right now, please know that I'm not talking about future juries. I'm talking about past juries. They like to bully people. They want to go home, right? You got nine people in the room that say he's guilty, and you got three that are holding out. Those nine people are going to be like, I want to see my family. I want this to be over. I want to go back to work. I want to do all these things because this trial is inconvenient. So oftentimes, the majority of the group will beat up on the minority of the group to get what they want
0: there you go i think that's probably well said there as far as how it went from 9 to 1 to 12.0 in 45 minutes is because right. well dinner was on the table and they wanted to get home now yeah. let's be fair to the process they probably did say right. "Hey, let's review the evidence and right. by the way it's the murdoch family we know all about right. this family we're not giving them a pass and i think you and i both are in agreement they should have changed venue. I just don't think at the end of the day that they could have gotten a fair trial at this venue. Chris, you want to just put a number out there Do you think that this is going to be overturned on appeal or do you think this, this conviction is pretty solid?
1: I, I'm going to say that it is a 10% chance that it gets overturned on appeal. There you go. But a hundred percent chance it gets rejected by the Supreme court.
0: All right, there you go. Those are good numbers there. I would take those odds. I would bet the under. I agree with you. I I think this this conviction is not going to be overturned. I think it is set in stone. And I think as time goes on, people are going to realize really this is a story about opioids and uh, this is a story about right. drugs and the substance abuse and that's what led this fam this person this individual just because you're from a wealthy family doesn't mean you got to murder your spouse and kid but it's right. just the if when we look at this case and say no rational person would do that yeah if you're high on opioids you're not acting like a rational person and i think either right. the, the judge saw right through this so that's that's my take on it all right I Next up to talk about, and I could talk about the Murdoch trial forever. In fact, I'm going to do a mm-hmm. CLE on it because it's just such yeah. a fascinating story to tell. But now let's go over to another area that's probably near and dear to a lot of our hearts, and that is the student loan forgiveness plan. I think that we all would like to get $40,000 back in our back pocket. Uh, But um, so obviously what happened here was Joseph Biden was running for president and he promised as part of his campaign he was going to forgive people's student loans. And Mm -hmm. that was a very interesting thought, very interesting concept. All right, can you pass legislation to to forgive people's student loans? I know there's a lot of debate on that. Well, turns out... No, that really they couldn't get Congress to go along. That's like a that's like a trillion dollar endeavor, right? Our inflation is rampant. We're gonna just forgive everyone, all this debt, and then see where inflation goes. So he couldn't get it passed through Congress. Well, he had another thought. Instead, he decided, look, we are um uh you know he has a different agencies, so and one was the Secretary of Education, and there was a Heroes Act that was passed post 9-11 that right. gave the Secretary of Education the power to respond to a national emergency by making changes to the student loan programs so that borrowers were not left worse off because of the emergency. right, All right So, Chris, I want you now just to not to take off your political hat. I know you wear a political hat, that it's 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 red maybe it's blue i don't know but you, you, i want you to take off your political hat and just look at the words of the heroes act all right okay. is wiping out up to twenty thousand dollars per loan is that making modifications to a person's student loans so that they are not worse off because of the COVID emergency what are your thoughts
1: I think that if you wipe away $20,000 of my loan, I will be better off no matter what's going on in the world. And I think that's, that's true for everybody who's middle class and below, right? It's fair to say, Joel, if someone gave you $20,000 right now or wiped $20,000 of your debt away, right? You would be in a better financial position. You would be better, but the
0: issue is not would you be better, but make sure you're not left worse off. In other words, we have right. this national emergency. The government came mm-hmm. in, forced us to shut down. That's why we had to get our dog crapper picker uppers. Man, I have a nice <laughs> bow on this class here. I start talking about COVID. I'm talking about COVID now, whatever. right? But you, you want to make sure you're not left worse off because of that mm-hmm. shutdown. right? And, and is, is forgiving all the... And I get not charging you interest. I get, Hey, you don't have to make payments. So I, they haven't even started making payments yet, by the way, but I, I get all of that. But then forgiving, that seems like, as you pointed out, now you're way better off. And
1: so is this an abuse of power? Do I think so? No, but I'm not the Supreme court. I I think that um, this is well within the purview of what the government should be doing, which is making life better for the citizens. Do I think the Supreme Court is going to agree with me? Not even if I prayed really hard about it. (laughs) I don't think for a second that the Supreme Court is going to say that the HEROES Act is what the current Secretary of Education and the Biden administration interpreting the HEROES Act to be. I think they're going to come back and go, no, you're wrong. I I don't know. I I could be surprised by Roberts. He has surprised me on things like the ACA and gay marriage. So... He could come back and say, "Yeah, well, within the purview of it, everybody, you know, if you make less than sixty thousand dollars, you're getting twenty grand back." Um, All right. There, but, there's two issues
0: here in this case, so let's unpack yeah. both of these issues. the The first issue is standing. Do the plaintiffs right. here have standing to challenge this student loan forgiveness? Because it's not a foregone conclusion that these right. people even have standing, and they uh, have to
1: be harmed, right? They to have to be standing. It, you have to be harmed. How are in, you harmed in some
0: specific concrete way that's not shared by the general population? And so right. in one case called Biden v. Nebraska, there were two cases before the U.S. Supreme Court. Ooh. In the first one, Biden v. Nebraska, six state attorney generals, all from conservative states, uh filed this lawsuit. And all of them pretty much, I think, kind of conceded. Yeah, we might not have standing, mm-hmm. but Missouri was one of them. I and mean, they all kind of pointed to Missouri's Had hey, Look, Missouri, they have standing. So we're going to piggyback on Missouri standing. Well, what did Missouri do? Missouri has this M-O-H-E-L-A. It stands for Missouri Higher Education Loan of 40. And what this program does is it basically runs It's one of the, the providers for student loans in Missouri. Not the only one, but one of One them, and, and this okay. is an organization that would lose money if these loans were forgiven, and that would cost them money, and it would inhibit their ability okay. to give out new loans. And so Missouri said, hey, look, we have standing. We will be harmed. And all of the other states then said, oh, yeah, you know what? We agree Missouri has—it will suffer harm, so we're just going to piggyback on their standing. So right. I, I don't know. It's an interesting argument, but the first reason why I find this interesting, Chris, is normally— it's the conservative justices who don't like to broaden standing. And it's the liberal right. justices who like to broaden Everybody the standing, has standing. rules. Yep. Right. right. Here we're flipping it. Now the conservative justices are saying, oh, yeah, they're standing here. Clearly they're standing. And the liberal judges are saying, no, let's, let's, there's no way these guys have a standing. Then we should have a very narrow ruling uh, in this matter. Right. I don't know. What, what, what are your thoughts?
1: I, I mean, I think the standing issue, is of course, the big one, right? I, we wouldn't have spent the last 10 minutes talking about it. Um, it's It's hard for me to understand, not understand. It's hard for me to wrap my head around legally all the other states but Missouri. And I know it's one of those things where it's like I'm on a championship team even if I'm on the bench. right. So if Missouri wins the game, I just want to be in the room so I can I can get my ring as well. right. I could be the backup quarterback on Kansas City Chiefs and then retire with two rings. <laughs> right? That's who I want to be. And I get it, right? I get it. And it also makes a stronger case, right? We're all supporting Missouri. We're lifting Missouri up. Let's go. Let's spend some time, energy, and effort for this. Um, the other part to this is I always want to do like a cost-benefit analysis. How much time, energy, any, and money are we spending to, to deter this student loan to go out? And in this rare case, right, it's $500 billion that they're going to be forgiving in and that's the rough shot, right, is about right. 500 Bill. Um, who knows? I mean, you still have to do some things to jump through, through through some hoops to be eligible. So, and can we also point out that 500 Bill, like, isn't that much of the American budget? Like, you know, it's an $18 trillion budget, so $500 billion is... I know. five Maybe 5%? It's... Maybe. Anyways, beside the point. I, I know, beside the point. It doesn't matter. Um, but I just think that the standing issue is really going to really going to define a lot of what the future of the court looks like.
0: So here's what I am viewing how I'm interpreting standing in this Biden v. Nebraska case. So you had this right. organization there in Missouri and supposedly it is an independent organization But nonetheless, there is some harm to Missouri. So I think the court is going to find that there is standing uh, by Missouri to reach the merits. Now, I, I think it's pretty well conceded that in Department of Education, B. Brown, this was the second case that was brought Right. There's going to be no standing. In fact, if you listen no to the oral argument in this case, there's a lot of laughter going on. They were having a lot right. better time during this one. But in this case, two student loan borrowers filed this lawsuit saying, hey, look, we borrowed from a private lender. And now, right. since they're giving this student loan, you know, forgiveness, they're going to forget about us and not, and if they did it the right way, they wouldn't have forgotten about us. I d- I'm not sure I even understand that argument. No, there's no they're, argument there. They're basically there's saying no undo this and make them do it again, and then I will be able to benefit because they will then include me in to the final act. And that's just so intenuated. I don't see well, the they have standing.
1: I, my gosh, how much greater of a um, constitutional issue would it be if the Biden administration Forced private lenders to forgive 500 billion dollars in loans. Yeah, they couldn't like, do
0: that. They couldn't do that.
1: <laughs> there's there's no standing for the Biden administration right. to do. That. There's there's no law that requires that private lenders forgive 500 billion in student loans. Like, yeah. unless. The U.S. government is giving that private lender $500 billion.
0: I'm not even sure how the second case even made it to the U.S. Supreme Court. So let, let's jump to the merits now. And here's, Chris, my theory on why the court is going to strike down. And by the way, when uh-huh. I say that it's going to strike down the student loan forgiveness, I do that with a heavy heart because I paid off my student loans last year. I finally, I hate to admit it, but I finally did. And, uh, and so this is my one shot at forgiveness because if it comes back again, I'm going to be outside the window. This is my only shot to get right. some of my student loan forgiven. Right. And, and so even though I say that, no, is, is, uh, the court is going to say they're going to apply a, the oft applied smell test and they're gonna say, look, we think this stinks. Here's what I mean by that. The, 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 over the last couple of years, the Supreme Court said two other cases. One was the DACA and one was the census questionnaire uh, case. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. The, the, yeah. the Freedom Act. Are you and a
1: citizen? Are you a citizen is that, was on the census.
0: Exactly. And the issue is, yeah. well, why can't they ask, are you a citizen on the census? Well, the court mm-hmm. basically said, no, your proffered rationale stinks. We know exactly why you're asking that question. Right, so you you're asking that question right it well to stop people from answering the census. And that right. way there'd be more Republicans in the area than Democrats. Yep. So it'd affect the apportionment in the Senate and the house yep. the Senate. I'm sorry, oh, the house. like we did here in Arizona. Right, exactly. So in other words, the proffered reason just stunk and it did not pass the smell right. test. Here the proffered reason doesn't pass the smell test no this was right. your campaign pledge your promise before you, know, you you wanted to get rid of student loans because people hate student loans it really had nothing to do with covid so to use right. covid as just an excuse to do this I think the court's right. going to apply the smell test and say, we're not buying it. If you want to erase a half a billion dollars or at least you know, three-fourths of Chris's salary, right. then you better go through the proper channels to do that and don't use this this false reason uh, for doing it. So
1: that is my prediction. I'd like to point out that it's half a trillion dollars, not half a billion dollars. Good point on that one. And that's three-quarters of my monthly salary. <laughs>
0: All right, good. All right, well, you know what? That is it for our legal segment, quasi-legal segment. Now let's transition over to courtroom quarterback
1: back the more sports the more fun
0: All right, Chris, I don't even know what you want to talk about here. There's so much to talk about when it comes to sports. Let me just give you a rundown here. We got Flores v. NFL, the update. We have Marsh Madness, and we have Lamar Jackson's contract. You pick
1: which one we do first. Let's do Lamar. Okay. Let's do Lamar. I love me some Lamar Jackson, and I love the smart people that they have at Baltimore, and you don't hear that often enough.
0: I love what Baltimore did here. This was genius. So to to, to set the stage what's going on here, Lamar Jackson is a great quarterback, a former MVP, and Mm -hmm. and he um, is trying to negotiate a new contract with his team, the Baltimore Ravens, but he wants guaranteed money, Uh, a lot of guaranteed money. And Chris, there's a reason why he wants guaranteed money. He is a running quarterback, and they tend to get injured, and he Mm -hmm. wants some guarantee... For future payments. Now, here's a problem, yeah. Chris. I want to throw out there because I'm not sure our listeners know this. His agent mm-hmm. is his mother. I mean, he, he represents. Himself, I love basically. This. Yeah, I love this. And, and so, go the, mom. The issue is, is, is he being reasonable and, and, no. de- and demanding this money? So, I, I did a, a little bit of a research. I dug into the, this week, and you might mm-hmm. find this interesting. I looked at the highest contracts. Of NFL players this last year. So are you ready to to follow this list? Don't don't write it down, but just listen to all of my this is gonna be at the top 10 or so NFL contracts from this last year. You ready? Mm -hmm. Mahomes, yep, Allen. That makes sense, right? Josh Allen? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Dak Dak Prescott, Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson. Aaron Rodgers, Jared Goff, Kirk Cousins, Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan, Ryan Tannehill, Jimmy Garoppolo, Matt Stafford, and Derek Carr. Outside a couple of them
1: near the top, what does that list have in common? No playoff appearance.
0: Exactly. Not a single
1: playoff appearance. They're duds. Well, Kyler Murray. Can you throw Kyler Murray on that list as well? Like, it's ridiculous. All right, I'm going to give you another list now. This is the
0: list of playoff teams from last year. Are you ready for this list? I am. I know this list. Buffalo, Miami, Cincy, Baltimore, Jacksonville, Kansas City, the Chargers, Philadelphia, Dallas, Giants, Minnesota, Tampa Bay, San Francisco, and Seattle. Killing it. The vast majority of those teams, I can go by. We can pick them apart piece by piece. Now their quarterback is on a rookie contract, right? Or a journeyman contract. I'll uh, just right. quickly Cheeto Miami Smith. rookie quarterback was their guy uh, Cincinnati. Right. Even though it was Joe Burrows, rookie, rookie contract, uh, Baltimore. Still, rookie, that's the whole deal. They want to extend right. his contract, but then he didn't yeah. even play. It was his backup nope. who was on a rookie contract. Let's get mm-hmm. by the Kansas city there. Oh, Jacksonville. Rookie Trevor contract. Trevor Lawrence, yep. The Waffle House King. Yeah, Philadelphia. Rookie contract. Rookie contract. Giants, rookie contract. Not anymore. That's right. Uh, Minnesota and Tampa Bay, obviously not rookie contracts, but they were also bust-up teams there. I'm not sure they even right. pit. Uh, San Francisco, rookie contract. Beyond
1: rookie contract. <laughs> Fourth round, Mr. Irrelevant rookie contract. Right. What do you take from the fact that the highest-paid players – weren't
0: playing and mm-hmm. all these teams with quarterbacks on rookie contracts or the first one after the rookie contract, they right. all made the post. Of course, we're leaving out the elephant in the room, which is Mahomes, but that, that's another right. issue. What in every data
1: set, there is outliers. That in every data set there's outliers. One. Yes. And two, and Tom Brady proved this to be true um long time ago, right? You can spread the money around and build up a really good team around you, and you don't have to pay a quarterback a ton of money. Now, Mahome's again, outlier. He's the outlier. Um, but I mean, look at the San Francisco system. look at look at Seattle once they got rid of Russell Wilson, right? You can plug and play with good quarterbacks. They have to have skill. They can't just be any geek off the street. Um, but you can plug and play as long as you have a good system to go with it. And we preach this all year long, right? A good system. Jacksonville had a good system now that Urban Meyer is gone. Cincy has a great system that they're building up. They're going to be rivals for years. San Francisco, Seattle, right? Yes. But you look at like you look at Minnesota, you look at Tampa Bay, you look at Miami. Their system isn't great yet, even though they've got good players.
0: And if you give put all your eggs in the quarterback basket and that ends up being a dud, what, what, what happened Wilson. was now you have no one for that quarterback to throw to. You don't really have yep. a good lineman to block for him. You don't have a good defense to stop the other team from scoring. So you don't – Dallas it actually, Cowboys. It doesn't actually end in a W's. And As you mentioned, the one big exception is Mahomes. Right. But you know what? Let's just set him aside. He's an exception. He is a freak of nature out there. And it's a perfect combination between coach and quarterback. And, yes, all these other teams might be trying to duplicate that. But look who actually made it to the playoffs last year. All teams on rookie quarterback contracts. Hey, Philadelphia, right. all eyes are on you. Are you going to pay right. your quarterback monster money to the exclusion
1: yes. of anyone else for him to throw to or block for him? Yes. Oh, 100% yes. They're going to keep Jalen Hurts in Philadelphia until the until the bell is fixed. All right. So so, so this, this all sets up our discussion about Lamar
0: Jackson. What should... The Ravens do well, what they so. Here was the deal: the issue mm-hmm. should we sign him to a long-term contract? Now, obviously, that was going to be their preference. But the problem right. is, is, he they weren't. He wasn't really negotiating with them, with a the sane brain, I guess. I don't yeah. know. I don't know what he's demanding, but it sure seems like he's demanding a fully guaranteed contract, which would be pretty stupid for them to do. Now, right. I, I know they gave um Deshaun Watson a, a guaranteed right. contract fully, but that's a that's a. That's a different situation. He was so caught up in legal woes. They wanted to give him a fully guaranteed contract, so they couldn't cut him. So that way the fans had to just shut up, said, no, look, we have to start him. We don't have a choice. It's fully guaranteed. And so that's why
1: they had that contract. And it's it's Cleveland.
0: I mean, it's Cleveland. It's Let's Cleveland, just be yes.
1: honest. They're not they're not doing the right things anymore.
0: <laughs> that, that, that That's a good point. Uh, uh, and, and so uh, because he might not have been negotiating with the most sane brain, then the thought then became, well, you know what? We can't reach him. Do we want to franchise tag him? Well, there's two different mm-hmm. types of franchise tags. The first one is an exclusive franchise tag, which means you're playing for us next year at this amount of money, or you're playing for mm-hmm. nobody. Nobody problem is they did that last year and, and then what yep. happened was he got injured or quasi injured and mm-hmm. then decided you know what i don't need to play anymore because if i play i might get really injured and i don't mm. have next year's contract i don't want to expect it was really ugly and, and so yep. a lot of people were thinking that he just kind of tanked it at the end of the year and didn't play when he could have played I mean, patrick right. mahomes was hobbling on an ankle he went out there and played yeah. You want your quarterback to be a heroic leader, not someone right. saying, Hey, I'm not getting my pay in the upteen millions of dollars, so I'm gonna sit this one out.
1: Patrick right. is getting his pay though. Patrick got his pay. So He's he better be pay. he got his five hundred mil. He better be out there hobbling around. He better take a take a leg, come out no. there with a like a plunger stuck <laughs> in that stub and come out there and throw. That-
0: I will say it's not a fully guaranteed contract, though it is a right. very good contract for him. Right. All right.
1: That being said, so what did Baltimore
0: do? Baltimore did this. They said, look, we are going to give you a non-exclusive franchise tag, which means you can go mm-hmm. negotiate with any team out there. In other words, you think you can get this deal. You refuse to negotiate with us, we think, in, fair, mm-hmm. in good faith. So you can negotiate now with all of the other teams. See who's willing to give you that contract. And then right. after you get that contract, we can match it and sign you up. Or we can just simply say, nope, you can go play for that team. And now yeah. that we get two first-round draft picks as compensation. So I think right. that was a genius move.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's a great day when I can say the people in Baltimore are incredibly smart on this one. <laughs> because they do. Like, they get to go, yeah, you think you're a tough guy? Huh? Tough guy? Go figure it out. And then come back. Like, you get to come back to our $3 million that we're going to pay you. Or you can go find something else. You and Mom and Pookie and and Little Al can go on a cross-country road trip in this offseason and play in every combine or every spring or wherever you want to do and see who's going to give you money and who's going to give you the backup that Baltimore can give.
0: There you go. Well, we are out of time here, but, Chris, I do want to give you the last word or at least the opportunity for the last word. And next week is Marshall Madness. Do you know how to do the rock, chalk, Jayhawk chant?
1: i do not learn it i just know how to say rock chalk <laughs> it's kind of, i it's will learn
0: a haunted kind of chant rock chalk jayhawk k um I mean, it's just so out of tune so haunting everyone does it in unison and you can't do it until the game is over so it's like really haunting when you mm. do it when there's still three minutes left in the game it's like no guys it's over you, you-, you think you're still in this game It's over. Rock Chalk, Jayhawk, KU. All right. (laughs) Have a great week, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, Joel.